0: Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride.
1: The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino.
0: I'm Christina Lomangino.
1: And today we bring magic back into our lives with episode three, the Mountain of Ghosts.
0: Written by Sarah Gamble and directed by John Scott, IMDb is giving this an 8.3.
1: Sarah Gamble, of course. I thought it felt back to form.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, an 8.3 is the highest for this season thus far, with episode one getting a 6.8 and episode two an 8.2. This time, we're going to see some of the truth behind Harmonic Convergence, The Takers, and The Fillery Tournament. Jason, shall we try this again?
1: No. No. <laughs>
0: You say no because you would have to be cons this time.
1: I don't really have cons. How fair is that,
0: that I get that I only get the opportunity to be con and not pro? I want a chance at this debate. I understand where you're coming from. We both seem to enjoy this episode a lot more than the first two in this season. Something about it felt like a return to form. From past seasons in style. A point for the plus side, I felt the humor was improved, mostly in the situations between Margot and Fen, and yet they managed to strike some very serious notes as well.
1: I agree with you. I wouldn't say it was improved. I think it felt more natural this episode. The first two, in some cases, and we're being nitpicky because we're podcasters, in some cases, it felt like they were trying to be like the magicians rather than be the magicians that we know and love. It just felt more natural felt more like our characters were actually saying them.
0: I thought some of the best parts of the episode were the emotions and dynamics between Elliot and Alice, two characters that we don't often get to see together. And I've been wondering, when is this going to occur? Because clearly they both had huge stakes, a relationship with Quentin. And for Elliot's part, Alice didn't know about a lot of that. It turns out she knew some more than he expected because of course she did. She's very intelligent.
1: I think it was the intuition. We see that often in movies and shows the wife or girlfriend often know more than you think they know and more than they put on.
0: And she's telling him, come on, Elliot, Quentin was in love with you. But what was I supposed to do about that? What could I possibly have said? Do you want to give me some of the con side of that?
1: Um, I didn't like her hair. It wasn't done well. Come enough. on, you <laughs> okay. have to
0: play this game.
1: Well, I don't know if this is a con or that we've been watching so much TV in our lives we knew almost immediately that, that Sean McGuire's character was the Dark King.
0: Mm. The biggest tip-off was that we didn't get a name for him. At least I don't think. I didn't catch one during the course of all of their interactions. What I did like, on the plus side, I thought Sean McGuire's acting was really good. In fact, I am liking this character, even when I know the reveal is going to come that it's the Dark King. There's a part of me that wants Elliot to get together with him, and that's the last thing Elliot needs. Right now, he certainly doesn't need a rebound relationship and absolutely not with the Dark King. But he was so charismatic and engaging and it seems to be he's not totally a bad guy unless that's all a front.
1: Well, do you want to get into that or wait?
0: I guess we can wait till the scenes, but I also saw it as a plus that a new character is being brought in. Very often we get frustrated with that. Another person, another bad guy, he was... Interesting and unique thus far.
1: I have to agree with you. I think this is going to be a good, big, bad. He seems multi layered. He seems like he's going to be someone that we are afraid of, someone with a backstory that they're kind of building already for us. We want to know why. Why did this character do this? Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like it's just, at least at this point, hunger for power. I agree with you. Sean McGuire is an amazing actor. Now, we used to watch Once Upon a Time, but we kind of fell off after season three or four. But I always wanted to get back into it, knowing that there were so many other characters being brought in, like Peter Pan and Sean McGuire's character, Robin Hood. So that just makes me want to go back and watch that again. I'm supposed to give you a negative. Um,
0: Tell me about the rest of what's going on in Fillory, because I know you mentioned this while we were watching the episode.
1: Yes. So there's a few things that I'm having problems understanding. We had discussed in... I think it was episode one, Margot's tattoos on her wrists. And now we know that they are banishment tattoos. But banished from what? We've seen her in the castle. They walked in with the party. Even though the castle was letting in regular people, the banishment should still be working. They went down to see the dwarf. Then she was, you know, it seems like in the hallways when she got caught. It's definitely not a banishment from Fillory itself because she's been hanging out there a lot. So I'm confused as to what this banishment spell really does.
0: Is it a physical keep you out of the area? It doesn't even keep her out of Whitespire. On the plus side for Margot, I was feeling they left off the last episode. We didn't get emotional impact for Josh returning and what's happening with Fenn. Right away, we see the reason for that here because Josh and Fenn are keeping a secret from Margot. They don't want to tell her yet. At least he doesn't. Fen brings it up in the beginning of the episode. He says, don't you think we've got enough going on? But later we find out they had an affair. Well, of course, they're stuck all of this time in an alternate timeline together with nobody else.
1: Yeah, I don't blame them.
0: You can certainly see why and how it happened. But can you blame Margot for being pissed? She's been here.
1: No, I don't blame her either. Trying
0: to deal with that, trying to get him back.
1: Plus, when she finds out, she's got the wolf growing inside of
0: her. Mm Mm-hmm. But you also didn't bring up nobody's recognizing any of them as they're traipsing through the castle? Well, Margo, I... Bu- Margo, the former high king.
1: No, I think that's believable. I totally think that the dark king recognizes them, knows what they've been doing, is well aware of what's going on. But all of these people in the castle during the tournament, that was 300 years ago. That's their great, great, great grandparents. It's not like it was a monarch like our presidents where we have posters of past presidents. I mean, this guy, the but Dark King, on wiped them out. Plays
0: about the Dark King. You don't think they had plays about Margot the Destroyer?
1: Yeah, but you saw how the plays weren't, well, that's, you know, yeah, depicting that's exactly what they looked like. <laughs>
0: that's true.
1: I'm sorry, I can't do the You're negative so very well. You're
0: so bad at this. How about the fact that the werewolf plot is back? It was never a great plot to begin with. I see the convenience of tying that into Josh and Fen were together. That's the a way that we nice. find out. But for the sake of the reveal, I, I never loved it. It's not interesting now. We don't even really get to see it. It's just they go crazy with rage because they're transforming. And then all of a sudden it's the next morning. Because how do you do that effectively? You don't.
1: You know, but in the same breath, I'm glad that they're sticking with plot lines that they built in the beginning.
0: I mean, maybe stick with the, the good ones. I don't, I don't know that that werewolf thing was ever that entertaining or adds that much. It doesn't even really wind up being a thing here.
1: No, it was, it was specifically used for the reveal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How can Margo find out without them telling her? Yeah. Oh, I have a negative. Kind of. Oh, good. And it's another reach. Because I feel bad. I feel like you hate me right now. <laughs> this episode itself really didn't push any narrative forward. Although I truly enjoyed this episode. It was fun. Character-wise, it was very revealing. The acting was... Okay, see? I went, I went positive again. Um... The main theme that I I think is going the least well didn't even show up in this episode. But then the other one, which is a major one, which is probably why it's going slow, still didn't progress that much. And that's with Penny and Julia.
0: Mm -hmm. And we did suspect last episode that it would unfold slowly over the course of the season, which means it's going to be a lot of sidebars and small developments I wasn't that wild about going to visit the character of Daniela and the sister in Zoe. The sort of solving that we have the window of the time frame of when it's going to happen. We were seeing this woman who's supposed to be the authority. She wrote circumstantial prognostication. I thought there would be a lot to dig into there. But it felt like a minor point that we jumped over very quick so we can get to the next thing. I do think the sisters will come back in later on.
1: It seems that way. You're supposed to be positive. (laughs) I'm just agreeing with your
0: side because apparently you can't do your job. So you bring that up. When we get to plot, we have characters grouped up as per usual. This time we'll be discussing Julia and Penny as they investigate the surge problem. Alice and Elliot with their visit to the Mountain of Ghosts. And Margot, Fenn, and Josh at the tournament. First, though, let's talk new faces, places, and magic. In addition to Daniela and Zoe Marcus, we see Jan, the guide for the Beyond the Wall adventure tours.
1: Pretty cool character. He was there to set up the chessboard for us to let us know how dangerous going on the mountain of ghosts is going to be. But I did feel he was a little blasé, he was, even knowing the dangers.
0: He was underutilized. There could have been a lot of needed comic relief here. It's so heavy in the scenes between Alice and Elliot, and I love that. But the moment before he gets taken, where he says, are you too done with your emotions yet? Mm-hmm. That was a ton of fun. He just didn't get enough screen time.
1: He needed to be taken out of the way, though, mm-hmm. in order for the Dark King to do his thing. All part of his plan, by the way.
0: We talked about the Dark King himself. And finally, we got Bick Pickwick. <laughs> yet another Pickwick, hard to pronounce. This one's in charge of the annual tournament at White Spire.
1: Oh, that reminds me of a question. The end of last episode, not this one, we saw that Pickwick was there. Everyone was there, basically, the, the cl- ones close to our king and queen. Where are they now?
0: Well, they're all supposed to be in exile. So I assume they somewhere. remained, yeah, whatever hiding spot they were at while our main characters went to try to win this tournament.
1: And also, I thought we were afraid to go back to Earth because of the time differences. We were. Okay.
0: This is a lot of weird stuff that I, I don't know. If it's just we don't have all the information yet or if they are plot holes. And especially when it comes to fillery, I'm reluctant to talk about that because we do have a lot of timey-wimey stuff. So who knows? For places, we saw the Mountain of Ghosts, a mountain with a large hole on top that goes all the way to the underground. I'm also confused there. When we talk about the physical location, the place we know of as the underworld where Penny Forty is, the library has a branch there.
1: It's a whole different Cheerio.
0: Is it the same thing as the underground, which they used to call Persephone, Our Lady Underground, just interchangeable terms? Because if so, I ask, could this letter that they tossed down the well at the end theoretically still get to Quentin if he has moved on somewhere else to Penny Forty?
1: I think what it does story-wise is leaves it open for our writers, but we will not see anything of it this season. Um, If they wanted it to be more final, they would have ripped it or, you know, used magic to set it on fire. But this leaves it open where that can happen, where Penny Forty sees it, the all-knowing Penny Forty. Even if he saw it right now, I think I tend to believe that he wouldn't do anything about it Mm -hmm. because he seems to know what's going on now. But let's say plot-wise they needed him to. Well, he can put it in a mailbox then. And then it could result with Jason coming back.
0: Yeah, Even for Quentin, we don't know where this going on is. Some kind of afterlife, other place. But they said letters with those stamps can get to any person, anywhere, any place. There were no limits or restrictions on that.
1: Yeah, but if it got to Q in the underground, it wouldn't do anything. Because it, it needs to go to the past Q.
0: Oh, yeah, but <clears throat> just emotionally for the sake of the character... Oh, to yeah. be able to read it, I would like to see that reaction. But again, you need Jason Ralph to do that.
1: Yes. And also, I, I don't believe he's in the underworld that we know of. He took the train to somewhere else. Well, that's so. what
0: I was saying. You would have to have somebody there get it to him. And if it has that stamp, you would think it could. I was bringing up the, or Penny Forty could get it as an alternative. What if he's the one to intercept? But the real question was, is it the same thing? Does this hole that goes down from the mountain to the underground connect to the same place we know of as the underworld?
1: I believe so, via magic. Not physically, the hole goes down. Because I think, and I might be chastised now, there's so much to remember. I believe it's a different Cheerio.
0: When we saw Fillory, it did seem to be so.
1: There's an under... They're saying
0: it like... <clears throat> there's it an upside down. It physically connects. It goes all the way down.
1: Right. But we know Fillory has an upside down. But mm-hmm. That's different. Different. Yeah.
0: We still don't quite know the way that that works yet, however. It's a prevailing mystery to the show. The Cheerios, the planets, how everything's connected, how does that work?
1: Milk. You know, now that you bring up the Cheerios, I love every season they have a clip that brings you from commercial back into the storyline. And the beginning of this season and all of last season was the Cheerios. The season prior to that was the Earth breaking? Or was it? No. Last season was the Earth breaking. Falling apart.
0: The Netherlands,
1: falling in half.
0: Where the library was.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, it wasn't Earth. Um, then before that was the Cheerios. This one seems to be beautiful shots of White Spire.
0: Yeah, I think we did get one shot of the planets, maybe Episode in the premiere. One. Yeah, yeah.
1: But now we're getting those awesome aerial shots and from the ground shots of White Spire, which I truly enjoy because. We only got glimpses of it these last four seasons. This has given me the, you know, the vastness of it.
0: Other vantage points. You also got the differing scenery of Fillory, which is always so gorgeous. I love seeing more of it. And it felt like we did get more of it in seasons past when we went to alternative locations of Fillory. Yeah. This time going up the top of that mountain when Alice and Elliot reached the well. The background of where they're talking, it's a mountainscape in the distance.
1: Yes, that reminded me and maybe it is the same place that they shot this scene. It reminds me of the scene when maybe season 2 when um they're crowning themselves king and queen.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was the same mountain.
1: It looks similar.
0: But it looked similar. Yeah.
1: I meant like physically same mountain that they shot it mm-hmm, on. Mhm. It Earth. could be. Maybe.
0: Moving on to new magic. Magic? Of course, we got talk about harmonic convergence, and that's going to be our closer look for this episode. So we'll get more into it later, just to say here, it's a rare and powerful astrologic occurrence that is a magnifier of magic in this story. We saw once more Margot's banishment brands. We have seen the marks in the past. It's just being talked about a lot more. We got the annual tournament we didn't know existed until now that takes place during the yellow ferret month of spring. Because Josh and Fenn created it to select the elite centurion guard that's comprised of the 12 greatest fighters. During the tournament, Margot used Sing's advanced skin hardening spell, although it only worked on one side of her body.
1: But that led to really badass scenes.
0: We also see that Fenn's weapon of choice are the child's play knives, not really magic.
1: So that's what I thought the first time I watched it. But the second time I realized what was going on because I was so confused. One of the knives is a child's play knife. Margot, Margo choose the correct one, I believe. Now, I was watching closely the second time, you know, does the knife go through? Remember the knives when we were kids where it kind of folded into Retracts. itself? Yeah. No, this one actually stuck inside of her and a little bit of blood came out. It's magic, fake knives, so that it does look like it goes through and you get blood. But so it doesn't it's do like any real another damage. level. Exactly. So it's like what we really wish we had when we were kids.
0: And of course, it's what Fen would practice with as a child mm-hmm. because she was a knife maker's daughter. Good humor came out of that. And
1: let's move into the plot. I'm really excited because I've been holding back on so many things I want to discuss. But before we get into the plot, we wanted to let our Clatchers know that over at CoffeeClatchCrew.com, we have created free wallpaper download for your magical phones that hopefully have more than three bars, for your iPads, tablets, and computers, regular computers. We have these really cool and, I think, pretty fun play on The Magicians. It's a Break Bills University alumni wallpaper. It's very cool. It has the fillery tree with the clock. It's got the Hedge Witch's tattoos, Q's playing cards, the moth, the crowns, the clock, and a little bit of a CKC wink to it. And the universe.
0: Well, and the whole image itself looks like clockwork in motion with the circles moving around. But my favorite thing is the colors. I've had this up on my phone since you created it. It's not obtrusive like a lot of backgrounds can be.
1: Yeah, I wanted it to set back, especially if you're going to have it as a wallpaper. It's the icons and the windows that you have open that's important. So it's for you guys for free. Just go over to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on wallpapers, go ahead and download that. It's your way of showing your pride for the magicians. It's a way of showing everyone that you're Breakbill's alumni and uh, that you love CKC. So check that out. And if you really like that design, we also have gear. So on that same website, go ahead and click on the gear page and scroll down to TV movie fan gear. We have all different types of Breakbill alumni shirts, from men's shirts to athletic tri-blend shirts to women's shirts to what are these called? Uh, Crop tops. The
0: crop tops. That I personally don't love, but some people like them. And the backgrounds you can get in gold or that purple color.
1: So check that out and uh, show some pride.
0: Let's get into our synopsis. We'll first talk Julia and Penny, who are looking for answers. Penny's struggling with his patches that are providing some relief, but are giving him headaches. It's a temporary solution to the signal issue that we haven't really gone back to. He said he's requested some books from the library, but he doesn't think that'll be quick and happening. And the two go to London to visit Zoe Marcus, where she works as a financial advisor. They're shocked to see the interior of the building looks just like the physical kids' cottage.
1: What's so funny is in my notes, because obviously we're not going in chronological order, we had just seen everybody in their new base camp, which is that apartment, which I love. But I wrote in my notes, I really miss the physical kids' cottage. And boom, there it was.
0: It's funny that she's drinking and she tells them that most magicians cast 23% more accurately when they have been drinking. I agree with that. Do you? Yes. From personal experience? Yep. (laughs) Julia explains they're there hoping to talk to Daniela. They're concerned that they're heading towards a major event and need her help to predict when it's going to happen. But Zoe denies them, yelling that they can't help her. Her sister Beth was killed and Daniela nearly so. They saved the world once already. Isn't that enough? So Penny and Julia go looking for more information. They find out that Daniela went there in the 90s, but since she did a lot of field work, most of the professors don't remember her. Except Lipson, who was her lab partner. She says rumor has it the three sisters averted an apocalypse in their senior year. Yeah, this is all set up for later. I was really
1: enjoying these scenes because they're incorporating Penny's storyline pretty well as far as him being a professor. Even though we're not getting class time. And even though the students may not even come back into the fold, which I really hope oh, they I do. Oh, I'd
0: so angry. That was not enough set up for that.
1: I like the fact that they're kind of like in a back teacher's lounge. And we get to see Lipson kind of hang loose like she's hanging with the other professors now. So she's talking a lot more openly, you know, and as we're becoming adults, we're seeing, oh, yeah, teachers, when we grew up, when we weren't around as kids, they were talking just like us. I don't know. I just like that stuff.
0: Also, I was happy to see they pointed out a plot point we've been thinking about a lot. What the heck is going on in the relationship elements of Penny and Julia? Because we did see a lot of that in the past. It seems she keeps telling him in scenes that we don't see together. She doesn't really know what she wants. He says that if they survive all of this, they do need to figure their relationship out eventually. And what he wants is a life with her.
1: Again, this Penny seems really grounded. And I'm really digging, it's kind of like a wink-wink to most shows that are dependent on catastrophes and quests that people have to go on. These characters often go on quest after quest after quest. It's like their life is horrible if it was reality. And here we are, Penny saying, you know, I'm not saying, you know, we saved it once, that's enough. Which is a reflection on the sisters, by the way. But I am saying we got to talk about this (laughs) and... Maybe we should do something, you and I, preferably, to enjoy the rest of our lives. I like that. You
0: can't just keep putting it off forever. There is always going to be something else. And perhaps Julia is, in a way, using that a little bit. Because he does say, I get that you don't really know what you want out of this yet. Penny 23 is from a timeline where he had that. He knows that's what he wants. He loves her.
1: And he's lost her once before. Mm -hmm. And he's like, listen, Lev Grossman just released a new uh, comic book series with different magicians. (laughs) They can handle the rest.
0: (laughs) So the two go back to Daniela. They know she actually does want to help. So they manage to get her alone. And she solves the problem. Kind of. Are you familiar with the harmonic convergence? No. A rare and powerful astrological occurrence. A magnifier of magic. There have been four. Extinction of the dinosaurs, Pompeii, sinking of Atlantis, and the invention of Autotune. In two weeks, there will be a fifth. How bad will it be? This is the event you're worried about. Circumstances on the Convergence will be exceptionally favorable, which in this case is not a good thing because it falls in a surge window. Castings will be exponentially magnified. Enchantments will malfunction. Death toll in the millions may be much higher.
1: How can we stop it? You
0: can't unless you stop the surges, change astrology, or tell everyone on Earth not to do magic. Whatever you try, if you need help, I will help you. And so will my sister. I'm pretty sure she doesn't want to. She doesn't. But if the moment comes, you can count on the both of us. She's not even sure how you would stop this. One solution she puts out there that feels like it gets more weight, that's something our magicians might try is for everybody to not do magic during that time. I say that not only because the actress stresses that option in the discussion, but also because we've seen the opposite. Last season, Mm -hmm. them getting a bunch of magicians around the world to work together to keep casting the same spell, something we thought could never happen. If they could get them to do that, might not they get them to stop casting magic for a period of time.
1: To be honest with you, I think that's going to be harder.
0: I think it would be harder too. It's a little too much the same... We often have this issue with the magicians that they kind of go back to themes or elements past but put a spin on it to make it different. I do see that being likely, though, that it's an avenue we're headed towards. How can they figure that out? How can Julia get them to do that? And probably needing to work with Katie and the Hedge Witches, much like we did last time, to get the library back involved, if they can get their shit together. So Daniela says whatever they decide to do, regardless of what Zoe might have said, they'll be there to help them.
1: To put a pin on this storyline... I'm actually intrigued with the sisters, because it looks like they've done something. They've sacrificed something to save the world as well. With their powers combined and our heroes, they might be unstoppable.
0: On to my favorite section, our opening scenes, because this is an in sequential order, we broke it up by character. We see the conversation between Quentin and Alice from last season on the stairs. (laughs) I adored this, where she tells him they've tried saving each other. That didn't really work. They're at their best when they're a team working together. This time, though, as she looks at Q, he disappears. And realizing he's not really there, she wakes up from the dream. One it seems she's had a couple of times. There's a great visual when she wakes up. The bed is all white. Yeah. The pillow, the comforter, she's wearing a white shirt. I love the symbolism, and she is going to get into that with Elliot later. Alice has made mistakes. She's done bad things in the past. But we saw from her previous storyline when she was talking to Santa if you recall, and he was driving the message home. Regardless of that, Alice is still a good person deep down. She's trying her best. That's all she can do is try her best. And she does say that later.
1: Also, she's being haunted in her dreams by Q and the loss of Q which we will find out just based off of the look on Elliot's face that he too is being haunted in his dreams.
0: She's being haunted everywhere throughout every moment of her waking life. And when she goes to sleep, she can't even get away from it. She's still wearing Quentin's clothing. I don't know if you noticed that huge oversized sweater she's got on. Very not Alice-like. So as we mentioned, the conversation with the Quentin Golem last episode did a lot for helping to get her started on the track moving forward. But she has certainly not totally dealt with this. There's more closure, more journey to be had ahead of her. And in fact, the problems begin pretty much immediately. Following her mother's text to check on the garden... Alice discovers a dead patch of soil there, where there's a glowing bottle. Inside, Margot enters through the clock to find Fen, Josh, and Elliot brainstorming how she will overthrow the Dark King. We will separate the Margot and Fen stuff later, but we're all together for a moment here. Elliot tells her the story of how her grateful subjects were informed that Margot saved them all, though it was actually Elliot, Margot saying that. He says they needed a simple, uncomplicated tale.
1: So there you go. I was so thankful because I was really leaning into my thoughts that it was Elliot who changed it because it wasn't that obvious.
0: It wasn't. And they still don't even specifically say that here. It's the people were told, but not that Elliot changed the letter that Josh read. But I think they're leaving that close enough that you can assume that as an audience. And certainly that Fillory is going to give her credit, which is in itself a selfless act that Elliot performed to try to make things up.
1: Absolutely. In, in Elliot's case, for sure, that's a redeemable quality. But also they do tell you bluntly later on in this episode that Elliot did change it.
0: When we get to the Margo yeah. scenes you're talking about in Fillory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's here that Alice enters trying to brush off Elliot's questions, but he pushes until she admits she made the golem. And she thought this piece of his soul would return to the underworld once it left, but it's still there in the bottle.
1: So I just assumed, and stupidly now that I think about it, that once the golem was done doing its job, it would disappear. But no, she had to bury it, which adds another level of, wow, now you're burying the depiction of young Quentin. It's pretty hard.
0: It's very weird. And, and sh- I guess she had assumed likewise, well, the piece of soul will disappear too, right?
1: Well, yeah, I wasn't even talking about the soul. I was thinking the the physical body. Yeah yeah, I would have assumed that the soul would, like many movies, just float away back to where it needs to go.
0: But I guess not. What if she were to want to use it again? She's retrieved it now. She has to either put it back where it belongs Mm do something else with it? Who knows? She knows what they have to do is get to the top of this mountain of ghosts because then they'll be able to throw it into the hole that goes down to the underground. And presumably then it will return to the rest of Quentin. Well, once Elliot hears this plan, he thinks this is too important. He doesn't care what Alice says. He's going with her to help.
1: First of all, right away, two thoughts came to mind. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Elliot and Alice together. This is new. But secondly, the way Elliot was acting there Felt like Elliot, Elliot was coming back, you know?
0: Because this is all he cares about. It's all he's been focused on. Finally, something that he can actionably do. This is another factor when it comes to loss and grief. From the person who has directly experienced the loss to those around them that are trying to care for them. What can I do? Give me something to do. Mm. Right. This is why loved ones, they want to bring food or is there some kind of errands you need me to take care of? It feels better if I can actually take an action, perform an activity. That way I can feel like I'm helping.
1: He's moving past denial.
0: Yeah. So this movement is exactly the plan he wants to be a part of. Though you can see right away, Alice doesn't really want him to come. This just gets worse as we go along. The two arrive in Fillory at a camp just below the mountain where they find a wall that says, Keep out, Falorians. This is a dangerous area. We're going to find out because there's takers there. And just below, a smaller sign, the one they're looking for, Beyond the Wall Adventure Tours. Their guide, Jan, offers them living stones that will burn takers and advises them, be careful, they know a thing you value and they'll swipe it. This is where Elliot insists Alice let him hold it in his zip bag to keep it safe from the takers.
1: I would have done the same thing as well. But again, I love the way Jan is talking to them and he's basically acting as the narrator for us. These are the dangers that we're about to go on. And it's showing us that this is going to be a difficult climb physically. It's not just the things that they're carrying. Now they have to carry rocks in another sack.
0: I don't see them try to use that later. Did they ever?
1: Yeah, Elliot was making the circle. That's what
0: they were making the circle out of. Yeah. Okay.
1: Think of it as Hermione making the circle of invisibility when they're in the woods.
0: Oh, absolutely, to keep them safe. But it's not something they could say, like, just chuck at one of them that it would hurt them.
1: I don't think so. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, when Elliot goes into his bag, we see he's hiding the letter there as well. The two follow Jan up on the hike, and Alice thinks Elliot isn't enjoying himself because this is not his pilgrimage. Here we go in the showdown. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Can we please not bicker? Sure. Let's not bicker.
1: What did you mean by not my pilgrimage?
0: I mean, I'm here putting my boyfriend to rest and you hanged along. Right. Because I barely knew him. You know what I mean. You're here out of some sort of Combination of thinking I'm incompetent and your guilt that he died saving you. You know what? You are way too smart for me to ascribe what you just said to total stupidity, so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna file
1: it under. You must be fucking joking right now.
0: No, I'm not. This is hard enough with you. Out you judging me every step of the way. Is that how you don't bicker? Because that would explain a lot about how you and Q kept falling apart. Beyond the obvious, of course. (laughs) The obvious? Yeah. What, like drunk threesomes with you and Margo? Oh, hmm, solid point. But I was thinking
1: more. That one time where you betrayed all of us, I ended up possessed, and Q died cleaning up the mess. (sighs) That was a little harsh.
0: Incorrect.
1: But not right, because you also saved my life.
0: Right. Trying to fix the mess I made. Here we are again. I mean, they're both right. We can see where Alice is coming from. She doesn't know the whole story behind this. She does have an inkling, and all the more reason for her to be upset that Quentin's attention and caring and love wasn't just for her. It was for Elliot as well.
1: Well, here's a new stage, anger, for both of them.
0: And this was supposed to be her journey for closure, her chance to go off and do something for Quentin, and he kind of forced his way in here. And yet again, she feels like that's being taken away from her. But Alice has done some really bad things. Elliot's right to be upset too.
1: But I didn't read that off of her. I actually thought that this was because it's an open wound at this point. And him going with her is, in Alice's mind, a walk of shame, basically. And she has the voices in her head, the guilt that, you know, this whole time Quentin is pissed at me and blaming me while we make this tumultuous walk.
0: You mean Elliot. And she does say at one point, Elliot, sorry. She does say at one point, I don't need you here judging me Mm -hmm. all of the time. She is in effect cleaning up her mess from the golem situation. But I think she also thought it could be a chance to do something as we were saying before, They, they wanted to feel like they're moving forward in some way. And this is a thing she can do on her own and share with Quentin. Instead of this constant reminder, he also loved somebody else. But I like that neither one of them backed down. They were very honest with each other. They got it out. This is where Jan gets that great line if they're finished with their feelings. (laughs) And then a taker comes from behind a tree and grabs him.
1: And takes him. I thought that was cool, though. Mm -hmm. By the way, the Dark King is already there. And I'll explain later.
0: Okay. Following the trail, Elliot and Alice try to set up a protective circle. This is where it's not working too well. Elliot hears a voice continually calling his name. Sets down his bag like an idiot. Are you taking off that bag for a half a second? And the taker snatches it. Of course. Now Elliot has to chase after it. He tries spells, but they fail to knock it down.
1: It's not just any voice. It's Quentin's voice. Is it? Yes. Quentin is calling out to him. Or at least it seems like it. And it's weighing heavy on him.
0: Oh, I thought it was a creepy voice. I didn't even catch that.
1: So he takes off the bag almost as if to get the voice out of his head. And to get that feeling off of him, that weight.
0: Yeah, but this is incredibly important. This is why Alice wanted to hold it. You can't let that thing out of your sight. It's a piece of Quentin's soul.
1: So when the taker takes it, which by the way, if you remember what Jan said, it's at night when they normally do this. Mm. This is twice now the taker has taken from them in the the light of day. He takes it. He climbs up to that rock. He turns and he waits for Elliot to realize what's going on and starts chasing after him before he runs. Because this is all on purpose.
0: The Dark King's plan.
1: This is all the Dark King's plan. So the Dark King knows everything, knows who they are, knows everything that they're doing, knows what's in the bag, is utilizing magic to make the soul call out to Elliot, to make it heavy on him so that he puts the bag down.
0: Oh, that part I didn't catch. Okay.
1: So that the taker takes it, pulls Elliot away from Alice to a spot where the Dark King can now save him. Mm -hmm. And now he's in on the group. And start his whole storyline.
0: I agree with that. I guess what I thought when I was watching the episode was this would happen to anyone if they were carrying around a piece of someone's soul for a while. You might start to get reverberations of them, their voice, images of them. Part of it lives in there. But that the Dark King was just taking advantage of that, that he could sense the energy coming off it. He certainly knows what... Elliot is holding on to because later on he makes reference to the words that are also in the bag that might help Alice referring to the letter. That he wrote to Quentin that this man has no right to know anything about or that it's even in Elliot's bag. So he's very smart. I was also wondering over the course of things, does this mean the takers were magical creations that he essentially controls? And that's why he's the only one that's able to dispose of them, thus making him seem like a hero. Yes. And so he doesn't need to set up an elaborate plan to get Elliot away from Alice though I do think that could have been part of it, he controls that taker. So he sends it out and dictates what it does and how it pulls Elliot out. So That's what I mean. Yeah, I guess the only area I thought differently was don't know if he can control that bit of Quentin's soul, which could be a big point later. If he can do that.
1: I think he's very powerful. We're not aware. I mean, he knows everything that's going on. He knows Mm -hmm. what's in that letter.
0: Yeah, he's definitely someone to reckon with.
1: I like the fact that you thought the soul was weighing on him. And anyone holding it for that long, that's very Lord of the Rings.
0: Harry Potter Horcrux?
1: Oh, same. Yeah, because Harry Potter well. a piece as well. of
0: you, right? Yeah. Well, the Dark King's now able to save him, the stranger as they're seeing it now. He casts a spell that disintegrates the taker and offers to escort him and Alice back down the mountain.
1: But first, let's have a drink.
0: Yeah. Camping that night, he tells them about himself, how he was making ends meet by selling rare objects in the Loria. Though his family were magicians on Earth, this led us to a bunch of speculation. It's the only real piece of background we get on him, and we don't know if if it's true. He could just be spinning tails, but I think it probably is.
1: Well, I'm of two schools of thought here. So let me give you the first one, and this is what we were discussing when this scene occurred. I want to believe that this character is going to turn out being someone we know or know of, but the magicians we've learned over these past four seasons, they don't necessarily care about intertwining that deeply Mm. they're not like doctor who used to be so it might just be a rando we learned that quick with uh for example the monster we thought there'd be a deeper backstory to him being a certain god things like that
0: except why would we need to set him 300 years ago if the change in timeline wasn't going to be important and i think that's what led us to thinking during the episode is this somehow related to the time that quentin and elliot spent together
1: right So that's the first school of thought. When he said, I'm not human, but my family was, we started to think, well, God, we're all about Quentin and the story that Quentin has laid out for them, his past, and how it affects our heroes. And we're really all about our favorite episode, A Day in a Life. Well, how beautiful would it be if this is a descendant of theirs, Quentin's kid or Quentin's grandchild? Mm -hmm. But there's not enough pieces for us to connect it beyond that thought. Because I was starting to think, well, Elliot said they remembered certain segments. They don't remember the whole life. I was thinking, well, they would remember what his child looked like because his child had grandchildren, remember? So then I was like, well, maybe their grandchild.
0: Well, it's 300 years, so it could be some removed. It would most likely be some removed.
1: No, remember, he was the Dark King 300 years ago. He somehow does not age, does not die.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say the time that they spent is removed, but I guess if it's in a protective bubble, a life in the day, that could be anything. It could be any length of time from where we're at in our timeline now or 300 years ago in Fillory, they don't need to correlate.
1: But I do admit that that theory is very thin that might not be it. How
0: did he get out of that time bubble into our time frame?
1: Exactly. So the second school of thought is that story and the story of losing a loved one. It being a man really is too close to the hearts of our heroes that it's all just made up to manipulate. And that isn't actually the backstory of the Dark King.
0: I'm sure everything that he said and did here was calculated. I just wondered if some honesty was a calculation on his part since he does say this is the best way to deal with people. This is how he suggests Elliot deal with Alice, though why he would ever recommend that. He just met him. He doesn't know anything about this situation. That was the one time I started to say to myself, I don't know if he's a good guy I wanted to think maybe there's more to him. There is goodness. We just don't quite understand him. But maybe he's just super manipulative I think and so. charismatic and controlling. It does seem that's how he's won over Fillory. That's how he's continued to reign this long. And he's going to know that it's going to be easier to get them over on his side using these tactics.
1: Absolutely. And he will continue to do it. Once his carriage came, he didn't say, you guys are coming with me. He kept it open like, well, if you guys ever need me, I'm here. It's actually very smart, if our second theory is true. It's very smart to keep them thinking that he's such a good guy.
0: Keep the game going. I wonder if he deals with Margot, though, the same way once he returns to Whitespire.
1: I wonder as well. We have to remember, I think he already knows Margot, Fenn, and all of them are there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's aware of everything. I also have a third school of thought. And again, this this is another stretch. That he did lose a loved one, not recently, over 300 years ago. He did make that trip. And this was all a revenge, and that would be a good way to bring in a storyline of why this dark king came out of nowhere and took over Fillory. In one of our timelines, in one of the things that happened with magic going out or with our heroes having to kill some Florians, or, or wars that happened, if his loved one was killed by the hands or in relation because they are the king, by the hands of them, and it was all a retaliation.
0: One of our group killed his loved one. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay.
1: So those are the three theories we have right now. They're very thin. We don't know much, but maybe one of them was right. We've been wrong a few times already this season.
0: Well, I also wondered if it had anything to do with the Prince of Loria that Margot had dealings with briefly that we kind of brought in that Uh, storyline in that region, but we never quite went back to it. And there was some tension building around that.
1: Remember how strong some of them were?
0: Yeah, of course. Good fighters. So the Dark King goes on to say most spells don't work on the Takers, but a few have figured out ways to defeat them. When this one touched him, it felt like a plague, so he casts an antiviral on instinct, and he agrees to teach them whatever he can. This is when they start drinking the strong Lorian Bumble wine, and the three start sharing how they're each mourning a death. The man says he lost a love who died very young. Alice lost her boyfriend and Elliot a good friend. When Alice goes to sleep, he and Elliot continue talking, and he asks if Elliot has ever had love. That's when Elliot divulges it was the friend, but Alice doesn't know, and he thinks Elliot should tell her the truth. Thus, the next day, Elliot and Alice make it to the top of the mountain and stare over the well. Alice drops the bottle in, and Elliot shows her the letter.
1: I can't send it, but I, I can't just let it go.
0: It's okay. Here is your friend. <sighs>
1: It wasn't just my friend. I'm sorry. He loved you. Why would I want to take that away from you now? That would be so cruel.
0: you really think I didn't know there was more? I knew Q really well. And if anyone was messy, it was him.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: He was pretty in love with you.
1: I'm not sure
0: that I'd say that. I would. What was I supposed to do, huh? Demand that he only love me? Screaming him to be a less complicated person? I mean, it's Quentin we're talking about. And I loved him. The real him. All of him. The Dark King was right. He should tell her. And I guess that's what made me confused about his intentions. This did seem to be a good thing and something that they needed to do to come to this emotional moment between the two of them. Alice admits that she knew there was more to it than that, and Elliot tells her about the time they spent together in another timeline, but the fact that he never really got to tell Quentin how he felt, and then Q died for him. She reassures that he was just doing his best, the same way she's been doing, and she agrees sending the letter could create much worse events. Together, they hold it out and drop it down into the underground, And Alice thanks him for telling her. So as we mentioned before, just some really amazing scenes. The two of these actors at the top of their game. Everything that's going on between them seems very real.
1: I'm glad it didn't turn into another fight because we already got the fight. This turns into more of a bonding, a strengthening tool. It was very well written. Looking at the internet, it looks like a closure that a lot of people needed.
0: And having that, the two of them go back down to the bottom of the mountain, where the Dark King offers to accompany them back to Castle Whitespire. Of course, the two still don't know who he is until this scene, where they see the Dark King's carriage pull up, and they watch, confused, as the man inside hands him his Mm robes. The King's robes. But as you said, he continues playing this game and just leaves off on a seemingly good note with them.
1: Yeah, that's what we're assuming at this point. I think narratively, it makes more sense for the big bad, quote unquote, to be aware of what's going on rather than him just actually being a sincere, sweet guy who later finds out who they are.
0: If nothing else, his knowledge of that letter speaks to a lot more.
1: Absolutely. But how cool would it be if he is an actual descendant of Q?
0: I mean, I definitely want to see that play into the storyline. I just don't know how they could do that in a satisfying way. And I don't want to get my hopes up too high.
1: Oh, and one thing we forgot to even mention which Clatchers probably already know, is that Sean Maguire, who plays the Dark King, also played Sir Effingham, the actor, same actor, which I don't think means anything story-wise. Some people were thinking, is it Sir Effingham trying to get them on a quest? No. I think it's just they use the same actor because he's badass.
0: I I tend to agree because also he's so disguised as Sir Effingham that you wouldn't really know that's this actor unless you looked it up. It is curious, though, I can see what makes people go off on this tangent and looking for it, that the reason he came was looking for Q and he's supposed to be the hero of the story. If that ties back into the picture in a bigger way and what he's actually at, his interests here, are are they going to meddle with that, with the Q timeline at all? Maybe Mm. there are a lot of iterations where the timeline works out, such as the Dark King isn't the Dark King.
1: Or Sir Effingham was the Dark King... Magically disguised, because the one correlation I'm getting is the fact that this Dark King graciously is allowing one female, the lesser sex, which is the second time we're getting it. Sir Effingham was totally anti-female. So, I don't yeah, know. But only, I still only think-
0: one Centurion on the guard. But if he's there to check up, kind of like Q's not back, right? He's not coming back? Mm. And now, and well, let's bounces. make sure that Elliot's not actually sending that letter Because if we do change the past, we saw that's going to change a ton of other things. And why not change this as well? It probably would. Okay. Let's go on to our last set of scenes with Margot, Fenn, and Josh. The tournament! (laughs) After we open up with Fenn thinking they should wait to tell Margot this secret that we don't know what it is yet, they have other things to worry about, such as due to the banishment brands, they need another way to get her into the castle. So they tell Margot the plan. When the taker attacks were just starting... They needed better guards, so they created this annual tournament to find their elite centurion guard. They offered fame, glory, and an instant wipe of your criminal record, including banishment marks. And it takes place now, during the Yellow Ferret Month. They go to Spire, where the tournament is beginning. Big Pickwick is taking entry, so Margot and Fen register. This was the great part of humor I enjoyed. Margot registers as Janet Pluchinski. <laughs> the name of... Her character that's not the direct corollary, but, as we've said, is this parallel to the Janet in the books. And, of course, selects her weapon of choice as axes. <laughs> Fen's name is Fensical Wahlberger. <laughs> Love it. And she picks the knives. In an aside, Margot tells Josh she's having trouble. She had this thing where the hardening spell only worked on one side of her body, and she just wants to murder everyone. He tells her, well, that's because she's about to have an incredibly serious werewolf transformation. Fillory has two moons and both will be full tomorrow. The good news is they can be locked in the cells they still have downstairs. But first, Margot and Fen need to fight. We get a wonderful montage that I really appreciated. I thought
1: it was a great balance of fun and badassery. Uh, first of all, I love when Margot's being a kickass king. Also, I didn't realize how well of a fighter Fen was.
0: They've kind of been laying the track for that since this started with Well, I knew she was finding like Fen good and- with
1: knives, but that doesn't mean you can fight well.
0: No, but she was a knife maker's daughter. Of course she's going to have some knowledge, some skills. Also, she was being trained to marry a king when we first met her in all sorts of things. Her capabilities have been shown as the story unfolds, despite the fact that she's very kind. She's a good person. She has a good soul. She's also strong and tough and is being wasted, as Margot says. Do you think we've been wasting her this whole time? Hmm. By not really being brought in or utilized to her best ability. So we see this sparring going down, each of them taking out their opponents easily. Bic informs them there can only be one female Centaurian guard. Which is good, he points out. Years ago, in a show of progressiveness, the king agreed one female might become a member if she proved worthy enough. They're scheduled to duel tomorrow night until Margot shares the truth with him of her lycanthropy and Josh's, and it turns out, Fenn's. That's when the confession is revealed that she also slept with Josh several times. In addition to the rage that Margot's is feeling, being overtaken by this transformation, she's also now upset. Soon after they commence fighting, Margot overtakes Fenn and stabs her in the chest. She thinks, truly stabbing her in the chest. Yeah. So she's initially horrified at her actions.
1: This was a good tool by the writers to convince us that they would actually fight. Because without that compounded with the fact that they're turning, it'd be unbelievable to see them fight and actually get into a big scuffle.
0: Yeah, unless they were able to go a little further with that storyline that Fen has kind of been put in the background.
1: But then that would change Fen's character.
0: And it was more related to Elliot. and We saw her have that interaction when Elliot was getting the vision and Fenn was kind of saying, I knew you weren't going to come for me. I thought it would be Margot. That makes it really heartbreaking later on. She does trust Margot, not only as a good leader, a wise, strong woman, a friend, to do the right thing and to help her out. It's really crushing to hear... Maybe she was wrong. Here she tells Margot as she pops up unharmed that her show was perfect. How good and smart Margot is. Even in her state, she reached for the child's play knife as they don't do real damage. You know Margo is saying, did I? As their changes begin, the three of them are taken down to the cells. There, Margot admits she didn't know it was a harmless blade. She has the line of all lines. Can I have a complicated emotion without having to resolve it so you feel better? You love that. It's so great. It's so true to real life. Again, a lot of what they're pulling from feels like it's not acting. Fenn says she still wants to forgive. And Josh points out that Margot never gave up on them. The two of them are ready to feel bad for having slept together, for having betrayed Margot as they see it. And Margot came and saved them after all. But Margot admits Elliot was the one that sent the letter. She was going to let them die, if need be, for Fillory. She has a job and has to put the kingdom first. This is when Fen finally breaks, thinking she was stupid to trust her. And the two of them turn their backs on Margot. I love the unfolding here, how the intensity really ramps up. It gives a lot more weight to the Margot Josh stuff and now how Fen ties into all of that. But I feel like Margot went too hard to the other end. It's also true that she did want to save them, that they tried multiple times. They were changing pasts and it wasn't working. She hoped she was going to get them out of that alive, but it meant that they weren't going to be together. What else was she really supposed to do? And I don't think this means she doesn't care about them. She does. Obviously, she does. I think she's having a moment of weakness where she doubts herself and she, in a bit, lashes out. She's honest, but maybe over the top. And I hope that they're able to work through that soon.
1: Well, now she's in the anger stage.
0: Well, she's been in it. She admitted it from the time she was first talking to Elliot.
1: Well, I mean... Listen, we don't really know, understand. We know what a hangover feels like and how irritable you can be. Well, what does a wolf hangover feel like? Maybe.
0: <laughs> and why was she feeling so much more of this rage? Shouldn't the two of them have been feeling that too and saying, okay, I get it.
1: Well, it's also guilt. It's rage, guilt, and betrayal.
0: And no matter what happened, they should still feel guilty too. Josh was in a relationship with Margot For sure. Like, I get it, 300 years in a different timeline, but that doesn't take that away. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that in episodes to come. And I really, I liked how it progressed here. And of course, we're left off with a lot of questions as per usual, including what happened the first time the three sisters, the Marcuses, saved the world? What apocalypse did they avoid? Will they help now when the time comes? What exactly is Julia planning to do to avoid it? Is it going to be getting all magicians to not cast? Will her and Penny wind up together after it all? Was Elliot taken in by the Dark King? Are we going to see that as a story that continues to unfold? And what will happen when they go back to Castle Whitespire? Have Fenn and Josh actually given up on Margot? And will they help try to take down the Dark King?
1: And I'm very intrigued to find out as the Dark King unfolds in front of us, what his angle is, who he is, what's his backstory, what's going on? There's so many good storylines that they've already laid out for us. We got the library and the hidden books. We got Julia and Penny's storyline that they're trying to figure out. Alice and Elliot, Margot and Fenn. There's so many things going on. I'm enjoying this season. And before we move into our Clatchers comments, our poll, and our grading, we want to let our Clatchers know about our Patreon. If you're new here, this is the first time you've heard it. If you are a longtime Clatcher, you've heard it before, but now is the time to sign up. If you like what Christina and myself are doing, we ask that you please join us over at patreon.com slash ckc podcast where for a low monthly cost we provide to you more podcasts every month
0: you can check them out pick a tier that's right for you you can get the coffee break episodes that are highly interactive where we'll also go through brief reviews of other things jason and i are watching in tv and movies what do we think about them Participate in games, questions, quizzes. The bonus episodes have topic-based podcasts. If you want to know about luck and fortune, including crystal balls, tea leaves, horoscopes, tarot, we're going to go over all of that in the upcoming bonus for this month. Or you can get movie reviews. The most recent one we just did was the Greta Gerwig 2019 adaptation of Little Women. But we cover all genres, movies that are popular in the theaters now, or fun throwbacks.
1: And you vote on what movie we watch. So that's three additional podcasts every month that you can get from the CKC. So if you're looking for a way to support us, over at Patreon is the best way to do it.
0: But if you're not able to, some other quick ways that can really help us out, subscribe to the Coffee Clatch Crew Magicians channel and the regular channel so that you see everything we have coming up and give us a rate and review. We don't have many new reviews on the Magician's channel for iTunes, so it would really help for others to find us. One of our Clatchers did tell us the Canadian reviews for iTunes are kept separately, so there was a couple of new ones up there. Thank you to everybody who wrote in on that.
1: Yes, thank you. Happy Mama, Yarny Girl, and Madam Orphic. Thank you guys so much for the kind reviews. We really do appreciate it. And if you don't have iTunes, just tell your friends about us. Tell your family members. Retweet us. Share us on Facebook. Do anything you can to help get the word out, and you'll be doing us a solid. So, Christina, from a rating of 1 to 10 surges, what do you give episode 3?
0: I'm going to go up to an eight surges here. I was at a seven for episodes one and two, but I did like this one a lot more. It did feel like a return to form in many ways. As you said, it was more about character building. There wasn't a ton of forward momentum in the plot, but I really enjoyed the emotional aspects and the dynamics we were getting.
1: And the fact that they can continue to build on these characters that we know and love so dearly is amazing. So episodes one and two respectively, I gave a 7.5 and a 7.8. I'm going to go all the way up to an 8.4. I too really enjoyed this episode and I'm loving where this season's going and I'm so happy we have plenty more to go. So moving over to Twitter where we ask our Clatchers at the end of every episode, who is your MVM? Most valuable magician. This week we gave it in pairs, Julia and Penny, Margot and Fenn, Alice and Elliot. Coming in at 1.5% is Julia and Penny. Yes, it's a slow burn. It will result in something eventually that I think we're going to love. But at this point, as one of our Clatchers, Sherry Ava, put it, it's a snowball slowly running downhill, picking up mass and momentum.
0: Coming in second place with 23.1% were Margot and Fenn.
1: It was definitely the most fun of this episode, for sure.
0: But also had some great serious moments. It's classic stuff for these characters, and it continues to develop the story and keep us in suspense what is going to happen once the Dark King returns.
1: In first place, with a resounding 75.4%, Alice and Elliot.
0: I mean, just very obviously the best material of the episode. Poignant, emotional, it does have plot stuff as well as character stuff, tying us back to the grief over Quentin that's been a central theme for this season, a pairing that's really interesting and dynamic to watch on screen. I wonder what happens now. Does Elliot go back to the storyline with Margot and Alice go back to the storyline on Earth, with the library, with Julia? Where are we going from here?
1: I don't think so because now the Dark King has his claws in them emotionally. So I think it only makes sense that their storyline unfolds more in Fillory.
0: You think Alice stays in Fillory? I don't know. It would be a good change of pace. Well,
1: it still would make sense if she went back and Elliot stayed Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be fun to have both of them there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's see what the Clatchers had to say. Brian says, love that there was so much character development and forgiveness between Alice and Elliot. And who doesn't love a good fight between Margot and Fenn? So glad Fenn finally stood up for herself. But my vote went to Alice and Elliot. Sherry Ava says Alice and Elliot opened up with raw honesty that allows the spirit to heal and aid in the course of their healing. They discover the Dark King, a.k.a. Sean McGuire how much more can be done during a single episode. With that said, the chemistry, playfulness, and anger that ended in the big reveal between Margot, Fenn, and Josh was salacious fun. And don't forget, the Dark King is supposed to be responsible for hanging the rulers of Fillory, King Josh and Fenn. Maybe he's mellowed after 300 years or not. (laughs) I
1: don't think so. I think there's more to him. Bert said, I knew the Robin Hood from Once Upon a Time was the Dark King. I think this episode should be called Complicated Feelings. (laughs) Got to give it to Elliot and Alice for not only mourning Q together, but respecting each other's place in his life. Very well said.
0: Brian C. says, can I vote for the Dark King? He was the only character to go out of his way to help someone. Alice and Elliot were bickering. Penny and Julia trying to convince others to do something they didn't want to do. Fen and Margot were all stabby stabby.
1: (laughs) Well, two things, Brian. One, we always have this problem because we know that the West Coast hasn't seen the show yet. So if we went ahead and put Dark King there and someone saw it, we totally spoiled it for him. So we were remiss to put him on there. But two, I honestly, and I think Christina's with me here, don't think he went out of his way to help them. Mm.
0: I think there's something
1: more behind the scenes there.
0: There there might be some goodness to him, and I think that would be... An interesting twist.
1: Absolutely. If he's not all just
0: bad, but it's definitely not straight goodness. Also, the Alice and Elliot bickering thing. Yes, they started out that way, but I think there were much deeper issues they were addressing under all that. It needed to come to a head. And Alice was initially cleaning up her mess, but this journey was important. Took them a step forward to advancing their own closure and opening up the overall narrative for the show. Maybe more so than any of the other character groupings. Be Nice says, Hale Appleman really brought the acting chops this episode. Elliot is so deep in his own pain, yet able to not tread on Alice's grief as he helps her accomplish her pilgrimage. And Alice admitting that she knew Q loved Elliot seemed cathartic for them both. Well done. Shauna says, I stayed up past my bedtime for this one. <laughs> Alice and Elliot obviously got my vote. It was great to see both of them have a cathartic moment, especially with the same beautiful backdrop as their crowning ceremony even if it's supposed to be a different location in the
1: show. Oh, so she saw that too. So there you go. Yeah. Dude, our clatchers are on point.
0: Also bonus points for Elliot, who is finally reading the books. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention that. He says it's because Margot bullied him into it, but I think it helps him feel closer to Q. Rochandle says, although Margot had to acknowledge some hard truths about herself this episode, I've got to give it to Elliot and Alice. That final scene was amazing. Yes, it was. Trees and Snow says, loved all the major character moments and the big reveals, but also hope the two sisters we met don't get lost in the shuffle. That really interests me.
1: Same here. I, ho- I really hope they don't forget about that
0: thread. I think that her comment was such a foreshadowing. Yeah, they got to come back. That they are going to come back. Percy Zoner says, I did like Margot and Fenn, but Alice and Elliot were superb. Also, the Dark King isn't anyone we knew before, unless you count the fact that the actor also plays Sir Effingham. Boom. Yeah, so not a reveal for this, the way we're thinking it could be for whoever's in charge of moving the library deposit. Mm. In the sense of we've seen the face before, it could still be an identity, as we're questioning, that will be meaningful to us later.
1: But hold on. The Dark King had parents who were human.
0: No, He didn't say humans. Earth magicians.
1: Okay. Okay. But could he be the son of Irene McAllister? I'm trying to pull I th- things th- yeah, together. Yeah, I think out of my that ass.
0: if she's going to be involved in the library plot, it's not also going to be. Okay. I think this is going to be really more connected to Fillory, and Earth will be more connected to Earth. That's
1: what I was thinking, too. I blame Percy's owner.
0: <laughs> well, she's also got more to say, but that's coming in a second in Clatcher's comments.
1: The Viking. All the main characters were in this episode, except Katie. Miss seeing at Jade Taylor this week. Frowny-faced. Well, I hope that uh, next episode we get more of that. Like we said in the past, the delivery so far hasn't been the strongest, but the storyline behind it, we are very intrigued. And I think it could turn out to be something special. So, Christina, you can't wait any longer who is your mvm
0: well i don't exactly think i've been keeping it a secret that it's the alice and elliot pairing i did like the Margot and fenn stuff i'd probably fall percentage-wise exactly where the poll is putting it in fact who's your mvm
1: i as well i'm gonna go alice and elliot for the same reasons our clatchers and yourself have said
0: moving over to clatcher's comments we got some write-ins from sprocket for episodes one and two that unfortunately we didn't get to i wanted to group them up together She was also having some difficulty with episode one, things that we alluded to with the writing and directing feeling a bit off and wondering if it's due to the addition of a new showrunner this season. She mentioned shots that lingered a bit too long on facial expressions after the actor had finished, sound effects that didn't seem to match facial expressions, dialogue that didn't fit in with the last four seasons, the play we saw in episode one just quite being as clever and witty, and the bluntness of Sir Effingham... Which I don't think any of us were fans of. But she thought episode two was much better. She said she liked spending time in Fillory and felt the emotional impact of Josh coming back and Elliot with a letter to Q at the end. Though there were still some areas of the writing she was disappointed with, such as the moments with the assassin guy that we pointed out. Um, I didn't get a write-in yet for episode three, so I'm sorry. We're receiving them a little bit behind. But we did get one from Percy's owner, or Linda, who had some really amazing points about last episode? She said she doesn't think Elliot's anger at Margot is unprecedented. Back in season one, after he killed Mike, interestingly enough, to save Quentin, Elliot was angry at Margot for not being there for him in the way he wanted. He was distant and refused to talk to her. When he did start expressing his feelings, it was to the Margolem, not Margot herself. Eventually, he turned that anger inward and moved to extreme substance abuse. I think the difference this time is in part because he knows how his substance abuse let down his friends. He has matured a little, and his relationship with Mike was only for a couple of months. His relationship with Quentin was for more than four years, plus a 50-year timeline where they were in love. So his anger at the whole situation is understandably deeper, and Margot's the only one he can take it out on. I think they will finally work it out, but it will be harder because Margot now has another person she's bonded to. It's no longer just Elliot and Margot against the world, which is probably part of why he's being nasty about Josh. And we talked about a lot of that, how you do take it out on the people that are closest to you, who you care about the most. But I didn't consider the fact that it not just being a duo anymore Margot having somebody else she's cared about and investing time in, not just here to worry about how Elliot's dealing with his grief, probably makes him mad. So he's directing that towards Josh in this kind of rage. You don't really care about him. He's just, this isn't the way Margot would act, pining over a guy. Luckily, we see him working through some of that stuff here. And I'm eager to see how they interact when they connect back together. She goes on to say, I'm thinking the Dark King and whoever stole the library building might be related, possibly the same person. I find it too coincidental that two extremely powerful forces would appear at the same time. I like the suggestion of Irene McAllister. Or if the actress is available, Marina would be an interesting choice. And I know that you had said that, Jason, off air while we were talking about the episode. It would be cool to bring her back. I don't know. I think this episode might have showed us that those aren't going to be connected but I could be wrong. There's still a lot more to learn. She also enjoyed the Julia storyline with the golem, and she thought that Elliot's letter would be more of a closure to himself, telling Q how he felt and all the things that he never got to say. And despite everything we see here in this episode, we still don't know exactly what Elliot wrote in there. Maybe it is something more like that. And we could come back to it if our theories about the underworld pan out. So thank you, Linda. And we mentioned before, our closer look for this time is going to be harmonic convergence. These are the events that Daniela Marcus talked about earlier, but we're going to talk about what it meant in actual history. It was the name given to the world's first synchronized global peace meditation, which occurred on August 16, 1987. It also closely coincided with an exceptional alignment of the planets in the solar system. According to Shearer's interpretation of Aztec cosmology, the selected date marked the end of 22 cycles of 52 years each, over a thousand years in all. These cycles were divided into 13 heaven cycles, which began in 843 AD, while the nine hell cycles began in 1519 and ended in 1987. The timing of this convergence was supposedly significant in the Mayan calendar. The chosen dates have the distinction of marking a planetary alignment with the sun, moon, and six out of the eight planets. It's said to have corresponded with a great shift in the Earth's energy from warlike to peaceful. Believers of this prophecy maintain that the convergence ushered in a five year period of Earth's cleansing, where many of the planet's false structures of separation would collapse. Because it came at the end of these hell cycles, it would begin a new age of universal peace. Adherents thought that the signs indicated a major energy shift was about to occur, a turning point. In Earth's collective karma, the energy was powerful enough to change global perspective of man from one of conflict to one of cooperation. So we were ending these cycles of bad times, hell phases, and we were actually going to move into a time of peace for the entire world. That's why they called it harmonic convergence. It was supposed to be a good thing, but it could be a bad thing if you are about to go into a convergence that would take you into hell cycles. And if they're drawing parallels from real life and ideas in our world, that could be what they're after here with the magicians. This convergence could take us into a bad time or a bad place. Supposedly, the conversions also began the final 25-year countdown to the end of the Mayan calendar count. This goes along with the same idea, though. The evils of the modern world, war, materialism, violences, would end with the birth of the sixth son in the year 2012. I also thought it was interesting. It's been talked about in pop culture, in various movies, video games, and shows, a big one being Avatar, and they call it a harmonic convergence there. They refer to it as a time when the planets align. Spiritual energy is greatly amplified, much like here where magic is amplified, and it causes the spirit portals at the north and south poles to merge while an aura of spiritual energy envelops the earth. During this event, the spirits of light and dark would engage in a battle that would determine the fate of the world until the next harmonic convergence. So whichever one came out stronger, it just wouldn't be a shift from one to the other. They would reign for whatever it was, the next 25 years, however many years. In this storyline of Avatar at some point before the last Convergence, Yatu, the spirit of darkness and chaos, managed to break through the barriers that separated the plane of humans and that of the spirits, allowing both entities to travel from one world to the next. However, as the Convergence began, Raya, the spirit of light and peace, battled and was able to restrain him for nearly 10,000 years. So is this what we're going to see? a major battle of the forces of good and evil that takes place during the Harmonic Convergence. And who might come out on top? Would we see old gods? I don't want to get myself all amped up for that again, but... um, We might. You never know.
1: And as we end this podcast with our typical spoiler section, before we have some of our Clatchers leave, we want to remind some of our Patreon Clatchers that January's winners has been announced over at Patreon. So if you are a winner of the free CKC gear. We reached out to you. Just reply to us what you want there. It's for you. Absolutely free. That Breakbills alumni shirt that we spoke about at the top of this podcast could be yours for free. And Clatchers who are thinking about coming over to Patreon, every month we do a drawing to two Clatchers, new Clatchers and existing Clatchers. So you could be next month's winners.
0: that's going to take us to the spoiler section. So if you're afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode four. For those of you still here, we know episode four is titled Magicians Anonymous, and sci-fi actually tells us a bit about that. I thought that was strange. We don't typically get spoilers on this level, but I really liked the video clip they put up there. It says Julia accidentally summons the goddess of Melody. She tells Julia this convergence that she's been trying to figure out. It's so much worse than we're imagining. Uh oh. Because of the simultaneous favorable circumstances with a huge surge of magic, spells going wrong that magicians are casting on an unbelievable level, there will be earthquakes, fire, drought, starvation, plague, cannibalism. It's going to be bad. She might be able to help, but she wants something in return. And Julia preempts that. She guesses it. The goddess says, You have dealt with gods before, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, they all want something in return. They also have some guest stars listed up there. Now, this and IMDb have fooled us before. It's not always right, or they don't come in that episode. But it says a few names that I'm going to probably mispronounce. I apologize. Karina Bizam as Pixie, Ian Collins as Syvart, and Julia Goglia as Clarion. So we'll see what episode four has in store for us.
1: Clatchers, thank you once again for going on this ride with us And hopefully we'll see you next week When we bring magic back into our lives Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook Tell your friends about us And until next week, this round's on me This round is on me